Hello, and welcome to the Pack Mag Parents Podcast, your place to laugh and learn. Everything we do is to make the lives of everyday parents easier. Without further ado, let's welcome our hostess with the mostess, Bree James. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to the Pack Mag Parents Podcast. It's Bree here with you. Now, on today's show, we're going to chat to an internationally acclaimed author of more than three hundred books. Can you believe it? Who has written 300 books? Well, my guest today has incredible effort. Um, and he is also an established speaker. Now, he, we're going to talk about the importance of creating a home playground for children. And no, not the sort of playground with slippery slides and swings. We're talking about environments that promote creativity and are educational to develop a child's mind. So, and this is all stuff that you already have around home. It's making your home your playground. It's a great topic. Uh, can't wait to get on Zoom with our guest today to go through that. And make sure you stay tuned for the weird, the wacky, and the wonderful segment as we've found the perfect use to your child's masterpieces. Uh, we've also found a handheld device that will take away the pain from getting a needle. Yes, and it's Shaped as cute as a bee. How good's that? What more could you want? Uh, and don't miss out on the tip of the week as I found a way to make the most of your sticky notes. And it has to do with your keyboard. All right, let's get into today's show. So today's guest, he is simply awesome. He's a grandfather. As I said earlier, 300 books under his belt. Uh, he's an international speaker. Brian Caswell, we're going to get him on Zoom all the way here from the Central Coast. Let's find out more about why we need to create home playgrounds for our children. It's time to get to class. So tell me, Brian, what is a home playground and why is it important for parents to create this environment in their own homes? Well, Rather than creating a home playground somewhere in your home, I prefer to think of making your home the playground. Um, so we, we reverse it. Um, it doesn't mean letting the kids run amok through the house and, and it does take a little bit of planning, but it's a lot more important than, than people might think to, to actually think of the house uh, in, in its entirety as a playground. Um, Maria Montessori, among others, said that play is the real work of childhood. And children learn through play and it allows them to experience, explore and experiment. Now, um, that's what I call the three essential E's, experience, explore, experiment. Um, that's what play is. Um, that in turn helps them to build their key educational skills and gives them that fund of experiences they use to negotiate whatever else is going to happen to them in their lives as they grow up. Um, so making your home a playground simply means acknowledging that there's playful learning opportunities everywhere. And if we can identify them and spend a little time working out how we can best utilize them, then um, the home becomes a much more learning free place. But uh, the important thing to remember, you know, we talk about learning a lot, but the important thing to remember is that the in, in the concept of playful learning, the key word is playful, not learning. Uh, the learning is incident happens because a child is playing. So the focus has to be on creating activities which are first fun and enjoyable and playful, and then um, intrinsically uh, the learning take place. But we can, we can um, sort of insert learning um, components within that play if we're 
aware of, of how to do that. So um, basically, when we think about kids and learning, they learn through hands-on. They learn by trial and error. They learn by experimentation. And so we've got to give them the opportunity. Um, and we've got to have the courage, basically, to set things up and then step back and watch rather than try to constantly um, micromanage the whole process. And I think that that's the key to, to playful learning is the fact that we do step back and allow them to play with the elements that we've set up and created from. There are so many fun rooms in the house when you think about it. Our houses are pretty big playrooms and playgrounds and, you know, everything gets <laughs> oh, scattered from one end of the house to the other. But, you know, I guess there are plenty of learning opportunities in many rooms of the house. Every room um, and outside, of course, you, you know, if you, if you have a garden, then, you know, the, the amount of um, learning, playful learning opportunities in the garden are infinite. But if we look around the house, um, I, I guess the, the key thing is that the parent's job is to provide opportunities and facilitate the learning then by stepping back. And um, what we train, you know, at Mindchamps, when we uh, are training our educators, our, our teachers, um, we have three um, things that we that form a process, what we call ORR, that they observe, reflect, and respond. And the reflection is a really important, the first R is really important. By observing and then reflecting on what we see, then our response becomes a little bit more um, uh, child-centered and, um, and useful to the child. So that's one of the key things that, that when I talk to parents, um, the, the ability to sort of step back, watch for a while, think about what's actually happening, and then build on that is, is a really positive way to turn whatever experience in the house into you know, a much more um, child-centering experience. How can, um, we, how can we as parents turn a room into a playground then that's both, you know, educational and entertaining? Um, because you said every room of the house. So give me some examples. Okay. Um, well, we got to get real first and, and say, you know, we want the home to be a place where kids are happy and learning playfully, but it's still a place where we as adults and older siblings and whatever have to live and we have to entertain and relax and do all of those things that adults. So we don't want to turn it into a giant kindergarten because um, it's, it's just not sustainable um, to do that. Um, as I s said before, um, when I was talking to you earlier, um, we live with five of my grandkids and their parents in, in our house. And our house is furnished and decored and um, set up for our lifestyle, with our lifestyle in mind, except for its rooms, of course, which I'll talk about a bit later on. But when I say we can turn any room into um, a playful area, it doesn't mean turning it into a kid-themed play park all the time. What it means is looking at each room and seeing the potential experiences that we can draw out of that room. So, so if we say, for example, um, you know, apart from the kids' rooms, which you can set up differently, say, say the kitchen. Okay, so um, in the kitchen, it, there's a fund of things that, that kids can um, enjoy and be a part of. Um, their learning is hands-on, and and so basically 
if we if we have a look in the kitchen cupboards, we've got things like Tupperware and plastic cups and plastic utensils. We'll keep away from the knife drawer, maybe, but um, all of those are potential building materials, um, uh, materials that you create obstacle courses out of, where the where the kids can move around, you know, and you can set things up. Um, they can be musical instruments. You can fill um, containers with rice or with different um, you know, substances that make different sounds when you shake them you can beat them with with plastic utensils and make drums out of them so if if and and the kitchen is a good space because there's plenty of floor space for for kids to do all of things unless you've got a very narrow galley kitchen which might be a bit more of a problem but um but then there are other things that you can do in the kitchen which are, are more traditionally um learning um, centered. For example, um, one of the key developmental um, things that, that a, a child must um, master if, they, if they're going to um, develop their cognitive skills is concept formation. They, they have to learn um, conceptualization and that involves the, very early the ability to categorize, to, to see the difference and similarity between things. So, um, for example, with food, you could um, you could get your pasta out, um, your, your bow tie pasta, your, your fettuccine, your spaghetti, the various types of pasta you might have. And a child can then recognize the differences. And if you have lots of pieces of pictures, then they can separate them into from piles and say, these are the, are, the, are the bow tie ones, these are the fettuccine, these are these, these are those. And they're learning um, uh, preliminary uh, skills in categorization, what looks the same, what, what um, feels the same, what tastes the same, smells the same, whatever. So um, when we're, we're preparing a meal, we don't necessarily put the kid in the TV room to watch TV while I'm preparing a meal. We, we prepare it together. We, we get their hands into the dough. We, we get them to feel the, the texture of cookie dough as opposed to flour, as opposed to sugar or whatever. As we're cooking, we talk about recipes. We talk about how things go together and we, we, ostentatiously read the recipe one step at a time so that the child understands both process and the importance of reading. Before a child reads, they have to understand that reading is an important thing to do. And, you know, it, reading a recipe doesn't replace the, the daily reading of picture books and things like that, but it shows that reading is more than just picture books. It's more than just story. And, by following the recipe together and asking them to go and get the sugar and bring it to you or do this or do that or do the other, which the recipe requires, ties the words on the page to the action that the child is doing and the action you're doing to show that reading has purpose and, and function. And that, in terms of developing a lifelong reader, is a really important um, process. Um, so you've got many different things you've got sensory development where you, you can um, have fun with uh, experimenting with tastes and smells and flavors and sounds and um, and you know what would this taste like so you, you get that creativity going by by asking what would this taste like if I put salt in this instead of sugar what would it taste like if I put sugar in this instead of vinegar or whatever it is that you were you are making and do it 
and see what it comes out like and say, oh, I wouldn't like to eat that, you know, or yes, I, I really, I think it tastes better that way. So it's, it's about involving the child in what you do anyway in that particular room. Um, the fridge, of course, is, is very useful for keeping things cold, but it's also a great art gallery. It's also a great um, teaching device where if you have magnetic letters, magnetic shapes, magnetic pictures that you can play with in terms of telling stories or um, if you're doing the recipe um, and you see carrots, they have to go to the fridge and put the C on for, for carrot and the, and the P on for potato and, and whatever. So you're making a, a, a very strong connection between the sound of the <coughs> sound of the word, the sound of the letter and what they're seeing on the fridge. So it's a, it's a matter of understanding that learning is comprehensive. Learning is um, everything connects with everything else um, and not, um, using the silo approach of saying now we're reading, now we're we're doing music, now we're doing this. It's all there, and that's just in the kitchen. We haven't gone to the bathroom yet. Um, you, you can spend your whole day in the kitchen if you want, and and the, and the child will never ever be bored. Um, so it isn't about turning the room into something. It's about realizing that the room is already a playground. That the 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 potential in every single room is unbelievably um, positive for a child and it, it can be so much fun. It's actually a lot of money too, because you don't have to buy all these ridiculous toys and, and, um, and iPads and everything else, because there's so much to do just with the stuff that you have to have for your, for your, um, for your cooking, for example. Um, we don't go out and spend a lot of money on toys and we've got a lot of kids around the place, but um, I mean, they do have their toys. Um, their parents spend a lot of money on toys. But, I mean, you know the old experience. Uh, you buy a kid a really good present for Christmas and they play with the box. Yes. Um, you know, that's the principle that we have around the house. Everything is a toy. Everything is a game. And everything's a learning experience because play is learning. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Good Start Early Learning. Good Start can nurture your little one right from the nursery through to kindergarten with the choices of a nine hour, 10 hour or all day session. Visit goodstart.org.au and inquire today. I love it. So how can parents nurture a child's creativity if they're not inspired enough by what you've just told us then? Um, well, basically, when we talk about creativity, um, people make the mistake of equating imagination with creativity. Uh, now, this is a difficult thing for me to, to talk to parents about often because they're doing everything that they think they need to do to create uh, yeah, a creative child um, just by giving the child an opportunity to come up with lots of ideas. That's imagination. Imagination is, is genetically coded into our brain. We are imaginative creatures. What we do is we, we make connections between what we see and what we already have in our brain. That's imagination. So this is like that. This is like that. This is like that. To turn imagination to creativity requires um, setting tasks and, um, and uh, stories or, or challenges for the child to solve. Um, in other words, 
using imagination to solve a problem, to create a story, to, to do something. Unless you give the child a goal, then um, just saying, you know, how many different ways can you think, or how many different things can you think of that are blue, for example, is not a creative activity. It's an imagination activity. You know, I can imagine a blue uh, chair, a blue bird, a blue berry, whatever it happens to be. But telling a story about blue, developing um, a sequence where there is a, there's a goal, there's something to achieve at the end of, of the process, that's where the creativity comes in. So number one, you give them plenty of challenges and, and opportunities to extend themselves. And very often that means asking what we call generative questions, questions that lead to some further than what the child has given you. Asking a child, what color is this, is not a generative question. It's a fact question and there is an answer. And they'll either get the answer right or they'll get the answer wrong, but that's what we call an end stop question. It goes nowhere. But a generative question is a what if type of question. So the child gives you something and then you say, yes, and what if, never but, but always and, what if X? So you know, um, the mouse ran into the hole. Yes, and what if the hole led outside? What would he see? Or what if the, the hole led X? What would he see? And then you open up the thing and then let the child's imagination create an answer to that particular question. Um, or, or a how question. Um, how, how do you think he might have felt when X happened? Because kids are very good at um, this happened, that happened, this happened, that happened, then I died. Um, they're, they're very good at, at, at listing events because that's the easiest thing. It's an action thing. But when we talk about how does the, the mouse or the child or the, the dog feel at that particular moment, you're asking two things. You're asking them to think about emotion per se, but you're also asking them to step outside themselves and look at a different perspective. And creativity is about changing perspectives. Um, so one of the things that we do with the kids very often is um, we, we create stories um, as they go. So um, my kids, my grandkids' um, favorite uh, game is what we call treasure map. And the way treasure map works basically is that um, we sit down together and we, we create a treasure map from the house. So uh, we, we have three steps that go up from the lounge room to the kitchen. They are the mountain or they are, you know, the, 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 the track that we have, or the, the, the long runner in the hallway is a bridge. And on both sides of the bridge is a swamp um, or the ocean or a volcano, a volcano with lava, it doesn't matter, whatever they think. But the idea is we create a, a map of the house where everything represents something else. And of course, the kids are the, are the ones that decide. But when they say, all right, the steps of the mountain, we're climbing the mountain, um, the question obviously then is, and what's at the top of the mountain? Or who lives on them? What lives on the mountain? And is it dangerous? And, you know, they'll say, uh, a dragon, a dragon lives on the mountain. Is it dangerous? Oh, yeah, it breathes fire. So how are we going to get past? And then um, 
we, we can build up possibilities for that while we're drawing the map. So what we're doing is we're creating uh, um, the environment of the story. And then we go and we follow the map. And there's always treasure at the end of it. And we grab the treasure and we give it to Nana or we, we give it to Mom or we, we do something with the treasure, which is usually edible. Uh, but, <laughs> but basically what we do then is we, we set off on the journey. And you can lead the journey or you can follow. And at times you'll lead it and say, watch out for that. The, the, the bridge is collapsing and the crocodiles, whatever. And to give them a sense of, of um, you know, sort of threat and excite, or they then take over and they start creating the challenges along the way, and they start um, giving the the dragon fierce fire and all of this sort of thing, and and um, so you then ask the question, okay, if he's breathing fire, how are we going to get past? Oh, we're going to hold up this thing and it's going to stop the fire, um, but what if it gets too hot? Then we'll drop it and we have to run really fast and. And that's imagination, that's creativity, that's problem solving, all in one game. Um, it's, and they'll play it over and over. We change the environment each time because each time, you know, one time the rug is a swamp and the next time the rug is something else. Um, but we're still engaged in that story and it's a very physical engagement. Um, so we've got the combination of, of imagination and creativity and physical activity at the same time which is what kids love. That sounds like so much fun. I want to play. Oh, yeah, they, I do. <laughs> I'm going to go back <laughs> and play now. Um, and, you know, those sorts of things. Or, or you can get the kids going out on their own. Um, um, one of my friends, um, Kathy Hirsch-Pasek, who's a, a, a developmental psychologist in America, um, she's absolutely brilliant. Um, um, she plays a game where... She goes around and she takes photographs of different things in the house on the phone, uh, but from odd angles, so they're not obvious necessarily what they are. And then she gives the child the phone and then the child go around together and the child has to find all the objects based on looking and observation and seeing if that thing on the phone resembles something in the house until they find all the treasures in the house that, that she's she's outlined um there are so many things that a child develops in that activity and it's a very simple it doesn't cost anything to do it's it's um you can set it up in 10 minutes but um perspective is is a part of creativity and um and that develops the ability to see things from a different point of view or you just say okay today we're going to be mice and of course, a mouse is not three feet tall like you. It's three inches tall or it's an inch tall. So we're all going to lie on the floor and we're going to look up. And then we're going to describe the room from what a mouse would see or a beetle or something else. Um, so they get to understand perspective and they also um, put themselves into a, a totally different mindset to, to what they would normally have walking around that particular room and that can be done in any room. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing so many fabulous ideas with our listeners today. Um, our homes really are our playgrounds. You've definitely uh, convinced all of us that we need to get more creative okay. in our homes and have a lot more fun. Okay. That was awesome. Thank you so much. That's a pleasure.
Was there anything else that you wanted to cover? No, the, the only thing I would have talked about is setting up a room that is a, a children's room. The, the, that, that's about the only thing. But I think people are more adept at doing that than yeah. the possibilities elsewhere. Yeah, no, I, I loved your perspective. I think it was really great um, to show us all how um, there's so many different things you can do at home, definitely. And we, I think we forget sometimes. But, um, and the thing is, we can do them while we're doing the things we have to do. That's the, the key is, you know, you can either try to push your kids out of the room while you do something or you engage them with what you're doing in a much more fun way. Yeah, um, so true. And I think that that's the, that's the key difference. Mm. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it was really, really great to have oh, you on the pleasure. The weird, the wacky and the wonderful in the world of parenting. All right, my favorite segment. So nobody likes getting a needle, especially our little ones, but how much would you pay to avoid your child feeling any pain during these procedures? Well, the Buzzy Bee Pain Relief is a handy device that offers kids pain relief through a combination of vibration, ice, and distraction. It's called the Busy Bee Pain Relief. It sounds awesome, but basically, it yeah, it is designed to relieve sharp pain on contact. And apparently, yes, it really, really does work. Uh, it's an award-winning pain management device. So check it out. We'll put it in the show notes, but the Buzzy Bee Pain Relief. Now, this next one, this company turns your child's drawings into a unique piece of jewelry or keychain. So even though your child, you know, probably isn't the best drawer, uh, they, we still love and appreciate their work. So no matter how many legs they drew on you for the family portrait or all the other things that they seem to add, uh, their favorite body parts, etc. Um, as children grow up, the drawings stop and we begin to miss these precious paper masterpieces. So, well, now you can keep your child's drawing close to you as a keychain. So this company is designed a service allowing you to turn any of your little one's work of, of art into a titanium keychain. So we'll put that one in the show notes as well. So parents, our prayers have been answered. There's a new device that will zap the forehead of your spouse whenever they start snoring. I love it. So the Somnable Sleep Position Trainer sticks onto their forehead uh, and as soon as the person starts snoring, it sends a little zap or a vibration. I love it. It's kind of like a dog collar for barking, but a snore, snore uh, little head things so that they uh, stop snoring. I need one of these. Uh, what's even better, not for me, for my husband, uh, what's even better, especially for those arrogant snorers, um, you know, it's the somnable detects the snorer can't change their position in 30 seconds and they keep going. It will be, it'll begin to increase its intensity ranging from level one to level four. I can only imagine what level four would be like. Um, Hopefully it's like a defibrillator, right? And it, you know, really shocks them and wakes them up and gets them moving. So there you have it, the zapping forehead device. We'll put that one in the show notes as well. I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy one. It's gonna be here soon, I hope. If you're loving the Pack Mag Parenting Podcast, then you'll love our other channels. Follow Pack Mag on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. It's time for Bree's Give It A Go Challenge. All right, something I've been doing recently is creating a list of adventures I'd like to go on, whether it be a hike to a secret waterfall or a visit to an old lava tube. Uh, there are hundreds of adventures that I would love to do, but I either A, don't have the time, or B, end up forgetting when the time does come. So my Give It A Go Challenge for you this week is to create your 
own list of adventures that you would like to do. Now, they don't have to be anything crazy like swim with wild sharks in the Bahamas, but try the local ones. There's surely lots of local things that you've been saying you'd love to do that you haven't done. So create a huge list and go and check them all off and go and explore this beautiful country. Pack Mag's tip of the week. All right, tip of the week is before you throw away a sticky note, run it between the keys in your keyboard with a sticky side down to collect the hidden fluff and crumbs. You'll be surprised how much ends up down there. It's kind of like a belly button. It's just all of a sudden there's this fluff in there. You don't know how it got there, so give it a go. It's a wrap. What did we learn on today's show? Well, that's a wrap. We learned lots on today's show, uh, including the three essential E's that Brian mentioned in our interview today. They were experience, explore, and experiment. And that's pretty much what play is. So he was saying that making your home a playground simply means acknowledging that there's playful learning opportunities everywhere. And by identifying them and spending some time to work out and utilize them, uh, you're going to have a lot more fun at home. So, you know, and then the home becomes that learning free place that, you know, with lots of laughter and lots of things for them to learn about. And um, as Brian also said, the point of playful learning is that it's playful. So we need to make sure we are creating activities based around play. And that once this is in place, when the learning begins, our children start learning from what they are playing. Uh, Another point he made that as a parent, it's really important that we provide opportunities and step back when our children are playing. Uh, Remember, you know, we can't join in all the time. So we've got to observe, reflect and respond when we're asked by them. So by observing and then reflecting on what we see, then our response becomes more child-centered and useful to the child, which I thought was really great advice. Um, And lastly was asking our child, what color is the cup? Now, it's not a generative question. Um, Generative questions are ones that lead to something further than what the child has given to you. So child changing your questions to what if questions as this makes your child use their creativity to come up with an answer. Well, that's the end of this week's show. I hope you loved it as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Remember, all the important links can be found in the show notes, especially that zapper. I really want to get one of those. Uh, A big thank you to everyone who's made this podcast possible. Uh, And thank you so much to our sponsor, Good Start Early Learning. Until next time, happy parenting. And don't forget to tell everyone you heard it on PacMag. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you want to be an expert guest or you've got a weird, wacky or wonderful product to share, don't be shy. Get in contact with our team at info at pacmag.com.au. This podcast is proudly produced by PacMag. You can listen to more episodes on our website, pacmag.com.au.